Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens. I'm your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board-certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, owner, and CEO of Art Vision and Artisan Skin and Laser Center. I literally get to work every day to help people see better on the 2020 eye chart. But true clarity in life and in business often requires a slightly different kind of vision. I happen to have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their clarity, and I want to share with you some of their secrets to success. My conversation today is with a fellow ophthalmologist, Dr. Robert Melendez, founder of Juliet Eye Institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Rob trained at the University of New Mexico School of Medicine, completed residency at the University of Texas Health Sciences Center, and later got his MBA. Specializing in cataract and refractive surgeries, his mission is to always put the patient first and to help them ultimately see their best. He is a visionary in the eye field, conducting and publishing numerous research studies, winning many prestigious awards, and is also an author and sought-after speaker. Dr. Melendez serves on various boards and has been a thought leader, mentor, and influencer in the ophthalmology industry for years. He publishes Ophthalmology Business Minute to provide business resources in the field of ophthalmology to help guide young ophthalmologists through their early career. He also founded the Juliet RP Vision Foundation in tribute to his mother and in an effort to find a cure for retinal diseases. Rob, welcome to the art of seeing clearly. So, I mean, you... Absolutely. You're not only an accomplished eye surgeon, but you also hold two master's degrees, one being an MBA. So why did you decide to get your MBA like and almost right after medical school training? What was it that drew you to that? Sure. So I graduated from residency in 2004 from uh, University of Texas uh, yeah. in San Antonio. And I wanted to, to, to be a retina specialist. That was sort of my goal since day one. My mom was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. And so that's, that's pretty much what I was focused on. But once I started doing cataract surgery during residency, I realized, man, I really love this. Uh, the, the vibe in the cataract clinic was just happier than the retina clinic. Uh, I, I love the short surgeries, the, the big wow factor after the surgery. So I, I had intentions of doing a fellowship, but I ended up not doing it. I just did a comprehensive, uh, I was a comprehensive ophthalmologist, started to practice, but I always felt like I wanted to do a little bit more. And once I started my my practice, the, the practice asked me if I wanted to go back and get an MBA to help out on the business side. It was a very large organization of 50 doctors. At the time, it was probably like wow. 35 doctors. Uh, but we sort of grew and expanded to 15 clinics and uh, three surgery centers, a lot of optical shops. And I got to run one of the uh, the clinics and helped a lot with the, the management uh, of the organization. What did they see in you or what did you see in yourself? You're like, yeah, I'll do that. I, I think I've always seen myself uh, running things, organizing things. I've always been in leadership since junior high. I ran for every leadership office in junior high and high school and college, uh, residency, you know, chief resident and so on. So I've always had that bent towards uh, 
just try to make things better no matter where, where I'm at. And I did that day one, starting my, my practice, you know, asking questions, how can we can improve efficiency, improve mm. the patient experience. So, you know, I wanted to learn more about the, the finances of the business. So I was already naturally curious about the business topics. And I think that's really what, what triggered them to, to ask me if I wanted to go get an MBA. I, I, I of course, said, sure, I'm not doing anything else. So it took about two and a half <laughs> years, uh, twice a week after work, you know, busy surgery and clinic practice. But uh, I, I, I learned so much at and it's opened so many doors for me uh, since then to really learn more about about the business, but then help help out in the academy, help out in other areas uh, with the degree. As you know, um, but our listeners may not, from a you know achieving your medical degree, going through school, residency, fellowship, we really get no business training. So if somebody would have asked me that question personally, a couple years out of practice, I would have been like, "Oh, not your gal, um, not not for me." And and of course, times have changed. Had you had any like instruction or prior interaction, kind of in the entrepreneurial world, that had given you tastes of that prior to you know going through all your schooling? The short answer is no. I mean, the only business okay. that I had was uh, when I was in high school, we, we had our own landscaping company. I had three older brothers and we did that on the side and, and we got and, you know, give, give bids on various jobs. And so we learned a little bit that way. I know that's a very small scale, uh, but I never took really a lot okay. of business classes in college, just other than just your typical, you know, micro and macro economics classes. I didn't major in any business or minor in business. Uh, but I, I've I've always just been interested in that naturally, aspect. Naturally, yeah, naturally curious. I really did, yeah. yeah, and I just just naturally curious. I, and I think what's cool about the about the MBA is that you, you really don't know what you don't know. Um, you think you you might know business, but until you start taking business classes, it starts to open up your your world. Thinking about you know categories such as organizational behavior. Uh, it's not just finance. There's other topics such as marketing and leadership. And I think mm-hmm. two of the major areas that I took away from the MBA uh, was marketing and leadership. I think I gravitated towards those two areas naturally, even before starting uh, the MBA program. Well, let's let's talk a little about leadership then, uh, since we, we went down that road. What, um, you know, what do you think most describes you currently as a leader? And what do you think is key in leading a team? Mm-hmm. Sure. I think uh, being a, a good leader is, you know, to, to start, just to start off, you know, just to quote Aristotle, you know, in order to be a good leader, you must first be a good follower. And um, it, it's not always about chasing mm-hmm. the title or chasing a, a position. I think as a younger leader, uh, I, I know I was guilty of that early on in my career, uh, wanting to, to chase a title uh, mm-hmm. rather than trying to chase the, the passion. So I, I think it's critical as a leader to put other other people first, promote the team, promote the mission of the organization that, that you're part of. I think that's that's true, true leadership. Um, it's not really promoting yourself, it's promoting those around you. And when you do that, everybody wins, the the mission is accomplished, and then you're free to sort of do bigger things than than what you're currently doing. From a leadership standpoint, do you feel like there's been a recent hurdle that you and your team have had to overcome? Um, you know, an example of here's how we got through of this using an example of your real day, you know, real day action plan that we had to step up as leaders in order to achieve this goal. 
I would say probably more management issues. I mean, okay. uh, oftentimes people confuse leadership with with management. Leadership to me is more uh, visionary. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a big visionary kind of guy. I like to do big things, big ideas, uh, and then try to execute it. You know, management is more focused on the day-to-day activities, the operations, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak, of your business. I started my business about a year and a half ago during COVID. You know, that was, you know, A, a big leadership challenge and a big management challenge. Both. Uh, you know, bringing yeah. different person. You know, yeah. Yeah, bringing different personalities together to, to start something new. Um, so our, our mission, for instance, for, of our new practice called the Juliet Eye Institute is patients first very simplistic i wanted it to be that way um and then and that was really about my major mission of of the organization but then the the management struggles were you know how to uh manage different personalities that that was one piece and then the other another big challenge that we had was you know how to how to implement all the different technologies when you know should i start with lasik uh surgeries first or maybe start with the cataract surgery first and how to sort of layer that that in, um, listening to, to friends and advisors on on what sort of the best course of, of action uh, was probably some of the major challenges that we had in starting the, the new practice. So as you, um, you know, as you started your own practice and you'd been a very successful ophthalmologist, uh, eye surgeon for decades, Leading into this, were you both the leader and the manager at the same time, or did you come in right off the bat? Like, nope, I knew I needed somebody else to do that role. Often when you're solo, it's mm-hmm. like you're starting out pretty small. Um, you're trying to do everything. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts on yeah. that? Sure. I, I think when I first started out of residency, um, I, I felt like I had a lot of leadership skills. Um, and when I started with with my former practice, they had asked me, you know, do you want to start a brand new clinic in this newer town or do you want to just stay in, you know, in the shadows of some of the giants of the big city? Well, what, what attracted me to the practice was, you know, I knew some friends there. One of my mentors was there, but I really wanted to start something sort of on my own. And so they let me run this, this new practice uh, with two optometrists and then another ophthalmologist there. So it was really my, my personal clinic, at least it felt that way. And I think, mm. As a leader, especially as a young leader, you want to take ownership no matter where you are. And, and, and it's not that I promoted myself, but I just felt like if, we, if this was going to be successful, I had to take ownership of it from simple things mm-hmm. as, you know, picking up trash in the parking lot to holding the door, you know, walking in with your head up. I say we're all responsible for, uh, you know, making sure everything's clean. There's trash on the floor. Pick it up. Mm-hmm. If there's something, get the vacuum. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I love it. And I, and I, I stole that, of course, from one of my, my mentors during my first year of medical school. I remember shadowing him and he's, he got the vacuum out. He started vacuuming the waiting area. And I looked at him and I'm like, <laughs> man, that, that guy's impressive. And then he talked to me later about it. He's like, Rob, you always want to pull the vacuum out at least once or twice per month. Let, let the staff see that you're not afraid to, to work. Absolutely. Uh, we have a dishwasher. Just unload the dishwasher. Start it once in a while. Um, just kind of like you would yeah, at home, yeah. you know, trying to be a trying to be mm-hmm. a good good team member. Speaking of mentorship, um, you've started many programs and mentored a lot of young surgeons. In fact, I know that that's a a true uh, pride area that you you try to grow and empower those young leaders. Um, what does mentorship mean to you? 
Mentorship means um, that you, you want to help somebody that can't help you back. And, and I tell that to all my, my students, you know, there's nothing that you can do to, to pay me other than to help the next generation after mm-hmm. you never forget where, where you come Amen. from. Mm-hmm. I was the first person in my family to go to college, uh, you know, even medical school course. So I, I've never forgotten where, where I've come from, never forgotten all the great mentors that I've had over my years, uh, you know, throughout high school and college and beyond. And and I think that that really stuck with me that I want to help other people. Uh, you know, we're, we're alive for a short period of time. When you're young, you don't think that way. But as soon as you hit after 45, you start thinking like, this is like, this is like my halfway point or even more than that. Um, <laughs> yeah. so you, want, you want to start thinking bigger than just like, what can I do to, to satisfy me and, and buy things for me? But mm-hmm. rather, what can I do to help other people get where they need uh, to be? How do you institute that within your, your business at this time? Are you doing it mostly on a professional level? Do you do it on a community-based level as well? So um, currently, uh, I'm on faculty at the University of New Mexico. We just just got promoted to full professor there, and I've been volunteering there for about 18 years. So I've been teaching, mentoring there for a, a long time. So we have medical students rotate with us. Uh, we hire young college students, uh, and I've had young medical students rotate with me in my last practice for years. But we've, like for instance, we had one of my students uh, that we hired who then applied to medical school. She's thinking about maybe ophthalmology versus family medicine. And I tell her, you know, it's, it's not my job to persuade you to go to ophthalmology. I, I would want you to, but if mm-hmm. you don't, that's, that's fine. It's just my goal is to try to help you get into med school, get into to mm-hmm. residency, find a job. Um, so, so we're personally doing that in the clinic, and then we're doing it in the community through the, uh, through the medical school. And then just nationally, I've been involved with the American Academy of Ophthalmology. I was on the Young Ophthalmologist Committee. Mm-hmm. For nine years, uh, I served six years as a committee member and then became chair for three years and was just, uh, you know, I was just given a great opportunity to, to mentor every year and, and lead that, that organization. We started a, a leadership program at the Academy's mid-year forum in April called the Leap Forward Program, which is an acronym that I came up with, which stands for Leadership, Engagement, Advocacy, and Practice Management. Hmm. And that first program, we probably had, you know, under 50. Um, I, I just got back from that meeting a few weeks ago. And, you know, there's over 150 young ophthalmology residents there uh, at the at the meeting, which is just, it, it's inspiring to actually see the, the, the growth and kind of see where these, stu- where these students are residents end up. That is that just awesome. Do you have a special mentor? Do you have one that I know you said you've had a lot, but... Um, anybody sure. that, you know, sticks out and something that you, you learn from them. Okay. You did talk about the vacuum, but, but maybe something else. <laughs> sure. Sure. I, I, I do. Have I think many, those small but, little uh, nuances are, are so important too. So the fact that someone's like, sure. pick up the vacuum I, once in a while, those mean the world to yeah. how your, how your work life, uh, ends up being with your, with your employees and staff, but any, anything Absolutely. else you want to share? Yeah, I'd say another uh, really good mentor is uh, Frank Modest. He's a glaucoma specialist at my last practice. He's the one that really spent the most amount of time with me in undergrad. Um, originally, I was going to be an optometrist. I don't know if you knew that. No, I did not. Nor did I know that you were originally going to, yeah. you know, thought about going retina, which makes sense with some things that we'll talk about in the future. But uh, so move, sure. go, go for it. Go forward. 
Yeah. So I was, I was going to be an optometrist. Um, and so I applied to optometry, optometry school, got in after my third year of college. And then okay. uh, one of the deans of the medical school brought me in. He said, hey, have you ever considered ophthalmology? I said, not really. I never shadowed an ophthalmologist. So I don't really know what they do. So he gave me a name of a doctor. His name is Frank Montes. And he said, uh, you know, spend a day with him. If you, if you change your mind, great. If not, you know, you have my blessing to go to optometry school. So I did that. Spent the day uh, with, with Frank Montes. Just a super classy guy, caring, super well dressed. I I like to dress well, but this guy is yes, at a totally you do. different level. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And and this and what I liked about him too was that and those are more superficial things, but sort of some of the the meteor aspects of of his personality, his characters that he just cared. He cared about people, cared mm-hmm. about his staff. Uh, he's very patient with his his patients. All of his patients loved him. Uh, he's passionate about his profession of ophthalmology, and I mm-hmm. think that all that culminated and really resonated with me as a as a young person wanting to to basically be like him. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know how to get there other than kind of go through the normal route, but uh, he he was also Hispanic like me, and he was probably like the first Hispanic physician that I had ever seen. So when I saw him, oh. I said, you know what, I want to be like I want to be like this guy, and and so I shadowed him, and he I remember. Uh, I remember him doing a retro bulbar block. Yes. Uh, and you know, I saw the long, saw the long uh, needle there. I'm like, I, I said, I think we all remember no our first time seeing a retro bulbar block. <laughs> and for listeners who don't know what yeah. that is, it's a special way that we block the eye from being able to move or see when we do surgery, minimizing pain or providing a method of anesthesia. So, yeah, this looks yeah, interesting. So you spent one day with him, and your your world changed. I, I, yeah, as soon as I, I I spent the first day with him, I said, "Wow, this is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to medical school." Uh, so that is that is so awesome. I I, I I quickly you know kind of moved my whole application around very very quickly to try to pivot and and now apply to medical school and started pursuing ophthalmology and. Looking back on it, it was the, the best decision that I made in my career. Wow. That one moment. And so I think you're hitting on that, that one moment when that one person is watching you and not necessarily looking at what you do, but how you do it as well. And the impact that that one moment can have on, on an individual Um Wow, I'm I'm sure you've you've talked with him many times about that. But look what you're doing at the same time. You're also making those amazing impacts on on individuals coming through and just trying to guide, empower, and support. So that's a fabulous story. I mean, thanks for sharing. Um, you talked a little bit about um, with your mentor how he you know, was with his patients, his look, his demeanor. And that gets me a little bit into brand with our businesses. We know that brand building is is so important for uh, any business as well as us personally. What what do you feel like makes you stand apart with your brand? Mm-hmm. I think really just going the extra mile and showing the patients that, that we care. Um, everyone on our team tries to live and follow through on our mission statement. That's putting patients first whether it's holding the door, calling them the night of, of their surgery, asking them, you know, personal questions about something that we discussed previously, whether one of their, their children graduated from college or getting married. We try to remember those details to connect with them because we, because we truly care. And we, when we hire people, I, I really looked for 
does the person care? Don't tell me that you care. Show me that you care. And for those residents, perhaps that might be listening or medical students listening on on, the, on this podcast, you want to demonstrate to to not only yourself but to the to your into the program that you're applying to or medical school that you're applying to that you care. So your resume or your CV should should reflect that by you a volunteering in let's say a nursing home or volunteering on a mission trip of some sort demonstrating that you actually care um and and sometimes it's hard to to tease that out during an interview but Mm -hmm. i can teach anyone how to check pressure or visual field Mm -hmm. but i can't teach you how to care Um, so we try to hire for that that is uh, absolute truth i most of the people on my staff unless i need them for a certain position such as i need an rn or nurse practitioner or pa um we can as you've just stated we can teach a lot of the things that we do, Um, but you can't teach curiosity. You can't teach that drive and you can't teach someone how to be kind and care. So do you feel like uh, from your business brand to a personal brand? I mean, I know you love your bow ties. Is that part of your persona as far as your brand of who Rob is? It is. So, you know, we, we like to do everything just a little bit nicer than just the average. So, so tell me about that. What does that mean? (laughs) Okay. So like, like for instance, you know, our, our building is, it's sort of chic, a lot of windows and wood ceilings, very high, tall wood, wood ceilings. Everything's very modern with, you know, as far as the technology, the look and feel of the building. Um, but, and then the entire staff has a dress code. So, you know, I think during COVID, everyone got lazy and wearing scrubs. It's fine to wear scrubs. I'm in scrubs now, but I was in surgery today. I just got out of yeah. surgery. So, and I got to wear but, polka dots today. I, don't like I it. mean, so life is good. There you, and you look great. And you look great. For, for those listeners, you can't see, but, it, but Ellis and I are doing a Zoom call as well at, at this time. Um, but everyone has to wear a certain outfit. So like, for instance, all the men in the clinic have to wear a tie, slacks, and dress, dress shoes, where, where the ladies also have to dress up as well. And those are clinic days. Surgery days, we have office-based surgery. We have two different color uh, sets of scrubs. They're figs, very high quality. They look nice on probably the best brand. I don't have any financial interest in the company, but but we love that brand. Black on our, on our cataract days and gray on our cornea refractive surgery days. So I think for you know our audience too, we are physicians working in medicine. And so many of the things we think about are not necessarily you know, what this diagnosis is or what am I going to do for a treatment plan? We are talking about the entire experience and feel of what our office looks, feels like, Um, you know, making sure that everything's picked up. How, what are the color schemes? All these things that go into, to making that brand. So whether you're a, a medical business, you're running a newspaper, you've got a marketing ad agency, whatever, you have this brand and you all need to, I think to live and, and breathe by that. And Rob, you've done that wonderfully with your new office. And it's it's important that you build that sense of team and community that way too. Um, just like if you went to what, like a hotel or uh, you have a different feel at a Ritz Carlton than you do at a Holiday Inn, no good or bad. It's just, it's just, there's a different feel and there's a different brand. So I think that's, that's mm-hmm. a really important, really important aspect. I want to ask you, um, you and I talked briefly about, um, kind of talking about your, your why, um, and, we know that understanding your why is important, but what does that mean to you? And why is it important? 
Yeah, and I think uh, Simon Sinek, you know, said it best. You know, people buy your why, not your what. And people know what what we do. You know, we're eye surgeons. We're here to try to help people see better. Uh, in, in my case, as a refractive surgeon, my goal is to really help people see at their very, very best to do the activities they want to do to live a live a full life. And I really mean that. Uh, it might sound cliche-ish, but but that's what really what I believe. So when you connect with people at that level of why why you're doing it, we're doing it so that you can live free. So you can do those activities, do your sports, see see your, your loved one without your, your glasses. Um, you know, if you're roasting chili like in New Mexico, like we do in the fall, and you wear contacts and after <laughs> you clean the chili, how, how are you supposed to take those contact lenses out? Those simple <laughs> things that you have to you have to deal with if you have contacts. That's right. What's your why? Yeah, and, Oops. Go ahead. You can go out if so, you want, but I'm like, yeah, what's, no, what's no. your why? I, I was just going to answer that. So uh, <laughs> you, you must have been reading my mind. Um, so, so I took the, the formal why test from the whyinstitute.com based on Simon Sinek's a concept of understanding your why. We actually hired uh, Gary Sanchez from the Why Institute to come in to our practice, determine what my why is, which is ultimately my practice's why as well, whoever the owner is. And then we did the why for each uh, employee as well to figure out what their why is, because everyone has a different why. There's nine different whys. And my particular why is to contribute. I was born to really contribute, you know, give back, help. And, and, I, and I knew that, but I didn't know how to articulate it. Um, mm. But so when he came in and he found out that my why is to contribute, he's like, that makes sense. That's why you hmm. volunteer all the time. I'm you on had boards. A, you had a word for it now. Words. Wow. Yeah. Now, now I have a, exactly. And so, and so he starts talking to the, all the employees, and he says, you know, when Dr. Blunt is is out here doing all these things, you got to understand that what makes him complete as a person is giving back and contributing to something bigger than himself. So that's what makes him tick. If he's not doing that he's not going to feel satisfied. That, and so each of your team members have taken the test at the Y Institute. That's, have you, have you done this as a, a family or anything like that too? You know, that'd be, well, that'd actually, be a good thing for my spouse to, to do. Actually, we yeah. should each take the Y test. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and they do, they do recommend doing that particularly for, for spouses or if you're in a relationship to understand what the other person's why is because Mm-hmm. Some people lead with, with another why is like trust. So if, if your your why is trust, th- that's really important for you to develop trust with someone first before you start doing other things. And if the trust gets broken with, with somebody that has that why, um, it can be detrimental. So you you have to lead with with confidence and trust with that mm-hmm. a little more a little more heavy, if you will, with that with that individual. And I challenge mm-hmm. the listeners to. To, to Google it, learn a little bit, take take the why test for, for your business and see uh, what your why is. And it just, mm. it, it kind of just clarifies sort of your, your mission as to what you're doing. Like, for instance, because I love to contribute, um, you know, we started the Juliet Eye Institute about a year and a half ago. Then I started um, Juliet Communications, which runs our business yeah. magazine, and mm-hmm. we're putting on a business meeting. And we, we started a, a research center called the Juliet Eye Institute Research Center. We got our first research grant. Uh, why? Because I love to contribute to to the greater good of our profession. Um, and we're, you know, in, in the process of applying for two more grants. And I hired a 
research director um, to, to help me really do a, a superb job in that area. And then it also, what I envision is it's going to give opportunities for students interested in ophthalmology to come. We already have research projects ready for them. They can help us. We can help them. And it's a win-win for, for all parties. That, well, your why suits you well and also keeps you very busy. So as you're busy, how do you find time for Rob? What do you love doing when you're not at work and what gives you joy outside of the office? I, I think part of my my why too, and I took a personality profile test um, and I recommend Discovery Insights. I've done like DISC and Myers-Briggs, but I thought Discovery Insights really honed in on me as an individual. And it was almost weird because once I read the summary of, of myself, it was as if the, uh, like someone went into my brain and took all my personal feelings out. And like, I think Siri does that. Doesn't Siri do that already? It goes into your brain and takes everything. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty scary, isn't it? Probably listening right now. I probably, I'll probably Uh, get it in my car and my computer when I leave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, go on. Sounds like you need, yeah, sounds like you need to see a therapist in that conversation. <laughs> but uh, you know, my my personality profile test is that you know I'm I'm an extrovert, I'm outgoing. Um, everything that I do, I like to have fun. Uh, you know, I have a short attention span. I like to do a lot of things, I like to get in, get out. That's kind of like cataract surgery. It's like refractive surgery, as opposed to retina surgery back in the day when I, when I trained in the early 2000s. You know, you're in there for like an hour. I don't know if you remember that during residency. Your oh, yes. surgery is very long, very, very, and it's very still intense. fascinating. It's still yeah, the most fascinating yeah, tissue. Yeah. yeah. If, if I'm not having fun, then I don't want any part of it. So things things that I like to do to have fun, uh, you know, obviously I love to spend time with my family. I love to play tennis. And the whole family plays tennis. All my kids have played tennis since they were young. And so we, we, we love to, to do that. I love music. I love to dance. Um, I'm usually that guy at some event. Um, if you hang out long enough, I'll be on stage dancing somewhere. Are you singing too while you dance? Uh, maybe, maybe lip sync. I don't think I have the, the best. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love to do karaoke that, that, that I do like. Doing. Uh, we've got a, a little bit of time left and, uh, I wanted to have you tell me a little, uh, briefly about one of the first foundations you started, which was the Juliet RP Vision Foundation. Can you tell us a little story? I know you said your mom had retinitis pigmentosa, which is what the RP stands for. Uh, so tell me about that and you're kind of bringing that forward. Sure. So uh, just, just going back in, in time when I was a young boy, my mom was diagnosed with RP and that's really what inspired me to, to study the eye. And we were, I was raised in California uh, in a small town. And we only had optometrists in, in our small town. So um, I would shadow the optometrist. I love what he did and how he interacted with, with the patient mm-hmm. uh, going with my mom for some of her visits. And that's really what, what kind of piqued my interest in the eye. And that's why I wanted to do optometry initially. But then fast forward, you know, I did change, change directions completely. Went to med school and became an ophthalmologist. Love it. And then when I started my, my practice and started my MBA program, we had to do some some project, like sort of a small project. But because I didn't do a retina fellowship, because I didn't do retina, uh, I said, you know, I still want to be able to, to find a cure. And as a young child, mm-hmm. you know, I remember telling my, my mom that, you know, someday I'm going to find a cure for you, mom. And, uh, you know, that 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 might not oh. sound uh, believable, but but that's what I would say. And so that that actually 
that that sentiment stayed with me. Mm-hmm. And so when I was doing my MBA, I said, you know, what could I do to help help patients with RP and my mom and and the greater good? And so I said, you know what, I'm going to start a foundation. And and my professors kind of laughed, like, you don't need to do that kind of a project. It's just just a small project. So I got a group of my other classmates. I don't think you do started. anything small, is my guess. So. i just i just do what has to be done and whether it's small or big and but it happens to be big in this case so we started a 501c3 went through that whole process uh you know that's basically just an irs number uh tax id number but but there's certain implications associated with that um and then with that that was in 2008 during the uh during the recession and people had said this is the worst time to start a nonprofit, um, which I'm like, that's okay. I'm passionate about it. And I would say th- there's never a perfect time. If that's what mm. you want to do, you're going to make it happen. Bet on yourself. You're going to win. I bet. Um, so, so we did, they helped me start it. You know, we, we had like a 5k walk run. We raised a little bit of money, gave out two scholarships, kept each year, kept growing. And then we pivoted and started to do a black tire, black tie dinner gala event. Now we're, it's, it's in our, 14th year mm. we raise we give out about 15 to 20 scholarships across the country to visually impaired college students with with any visual impairment they don't necessarily have to have retinitis pigmentosa um, then we also give out one to two research grants mainly to johns hopkins uh, ucla university of michigan uh, just to name a, a few universities that we've given some research grants out to um, and it's just so rewarding to, to make the phone call and call that young college student or high school student and let them know that you are the recipient of one of our scholarships. Mm-hmm. And then our foundation's grown to the point that we can now, we raise enough money to really support them all four years of college. Now we're supporting people into grad school. Someone got a PhD, someone went to law school. Um, so it's really cool to, to sort of see where it's going. And, you know, one of my, my big goals for, for the foundation, and if you want to learn more about our foundation, you can visit our website at julietfoundation.org. But one of, my, one of my big goals is to start a genetic registry for the foundation. And, you know, as research starts moving forward, um, you know, there's many different mutations for, for RP. And, you know, one treatment may not be applicable to, you know, every single patient. So if we were to identify every patient in the U.S. for starters with their specific mutation, categorize it, put it in a registry, once you know trials or drug treatments come out, we have one treatment out already, but if we have additional treatments that, that come out, then we can quickly pair those trials and treatments to those specific people, patients with their, with their you know, respective RP mutations to really help them see better at a faster rate. I believe we're, we're alive at, at this point in time that we can do that. Um, you know, we're, we're already well aware of the largest registry in medicine now, and that's the IRIS registry mm-hmm. in our profession, Allison, in ophthalmology. Mm-hmm. So we've been, in, we've been in contact with, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Academy um, to, to, to do just that. Um, it's a really big, big task. Uh, it's a big, big ask. It's going to take an enormous amount of, of resources, but that's that's on that's on my table right now to to try to accomplish. Well, you've got you've got the time, the energy, the passion. 
I I would bet on you. <laughs> I would I would absolutely bet on you. And if we can do anything to help on our end, um, happy to happy to do so. So as well as get invited to a Thank black you. tie event once in a while. I mean that would be fun too. So happy happy to travel that's, and support. So as we wrap up, so yeah, this year, okay, yeah. oh, go ahead, go ahead, Rob. I was just going to add that this year our event's August twentieth. Uh, called Night for Sight in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Our our main speaker is one of our local uh, TV hosts. I I also am a medical news correspondent for our local ABC News affiliate. So she's our main anchor. So she's agreed to to be our MC, and we have a bunch of who's who people there. We'll have a lot of political leaders, a former governor. Um, just a lot of other just great people in the community trying to help help out. And they might get to see you dance. They will definitely see you dance. There's no question <laughs> about that. <laughs> so, Rob, as it, we... It's more like 80s. Go ahead. It's more like 80s. Hey, 80s is 80s is my flair. It's all good. It's all good. So as we as we are reaching the end of our time today, I really do want to ask you, there's more than just work. There's more than our entrepreneurship. There's more than all these, you know, grants and studies and mentoring. At the end of the day, there is yourself too. And you you have to be able to take care of you and nurture that. So what are some of your techniques that you use to help see yourself better? We've talked a lot about how you see the world better, but what do you do for Rob to help? How do you see yourself better? And what are some tools and techniques that you use to do that? Yeah, I think I think just being brutally honest with yourself and surrounding yourself with people that aren't aren't afraid to to tell you that that you need to improve or you're slipping up. Uh, and that's mainly my my wife that's not afraid to to tell me any of those things. Uh, and some of my close friends. I think my, my faith in God is really the most important thing in what I do and I lead with. And that's really just the the key to my leadership is just putting other people first above myself. Um, I also like just to listen to, to podcasts that are, are motivational, encouraging. Mm. I love to listen to, to music just to chill. I planted a vineyard like four years ago. Uh, we live out in the country. And, you know, being raised in California, I've always loved vineyards. And I said, I'd love to plant a vineyard sometime. It's very peaceful. It's relaxing. Mm. I get to look outside and, and see little glimpses of it. Just to just to remind us that all of us go through seasons, you know, some mm-hmm. good some bad, you know, sometimes the, the vines don't look like they're, they're alive. They're just sleeping. They're resting. So to, to your point, you, you do need to recharge those batteries, rest, you know, spend quality time with your family, those good friends that make you better and sharper. Um, always try to be better than you were last month. And that's what mm-hmm. I try to do. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to, to say that I have, you know, I'm, I have a blessed family, uh, blessed, blessed life. I'm going on 30 years of marriage uh, next month. Uh, you know, we have three kids, two, two grandkids. There's nothing better than, than having them. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today, your wisdom, your empowerment, and anybody who has you as a mentor, um, as a physician, and I think as a friend is really lucky in this world. So keep, keep living large, keep being you. And thank you, Rob, for allowing us to have a little glimpse of your art of seeing clearly. Thanks for the opportunity. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.